The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, as we heard in Jeff Braun's newscast. Big update regarding COVID-19 in a Winnipeg school. More on that in a moment. But we wanted to, to open with something here because, and it, there's a there's an irony here because last night I'm watching on Netflix. Loren tells us that she's watched or she recently watched a show called Away, starring Hilary Swank in space. It's the number one trending show in Canada on Netflix right now. So I look at the trending shows and I see number two is a documentary film called The Social Dilemma. Mm. I watched about an hour of it and highly recommended it. It it shows you just how anti-social or unsocial, as Kelly calls it, uh, social media can be. It's it's frightening. It's really scary stuff um, and uh, eye-opening. So the irony is the first thing I did when I wake up at 2.30 is I crack open my phone and I go on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent an hour last night learning about the horrors of social media. The first thing I do is I go on Twitter. Completely ignoring everything you'd learned. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, I saw this tweet that I wanted to, that I shared with you guys immediately. And this had to do with uh, an ABC uh, 2020 special that uh, aired, I guess it's it aired last night. Um, and the tweet says, President Trump disputes an uncommitted voter. Well, here, I'll just play it. As Bob Irving once taught me, illustration is better than explanation. If you believe it's the president's responsibility to protect America, why would you downplay a pandemic that is known to disproportionately harm low-income families and minority communities. Yeah. Well, I didn't downplay it. I actually, in many ways, I upplayed it in terms of action. My action was very strong. Because what I did was, uh, with China, I put a ban on. With Europe, I put a ban on. And we would have lost thousands of more people had I not put the ban on. So that was called action, not with the mouth, but in actual fact. We did a very, very good job when we put that ban on. Whether you call it talent or luck, it was very important. So we saved a lot of lives when we did that. There were holes in the ban, and the European ban didn't come for another month. Well, they were Americans. I mean, the holes in were if you have somebody in China that's an American citizen, we had to let them in. What's that name of that uh, Beatles song, Loren? You say goodbye, I say hello. Just yeah. this back potato, and forth. Potato, You know, you say yes, I say no. And this in light of the audio that's come from the conversations between Donald Trump and Bob Woodward and prepared and preparing for uh, the release of Woodward's book. And, uh, well, this was inescapable just a handful of days ago, this clip. I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. So how do... How do yeah, exactly. How do people tr- trust anything he says on this front? It, it, it's virtually impossible. Well, and this is... And, and the big problem about this, and, and, and in the whole context of even you just watching that show last night, Brett, and, and social media, not just the anti-social part of it, but the disinformation and the misinformation and, and just the outright lying that goes on on there this is part of the problem right when you have a leader who said to bob woodward six seven months ago 
I like to downplay it to not create panic. And then now says he didn't downplay it. He, in fact, upplayed it. And there is, you know, he did take some action immediately. Six months ago, you know, they did do that travel ban. And, and then different sports leagues canceled. And there was all sorts of immediate action that was taken. But here we are six months later. And if you look on social media and you look in many, many, many of our circles, uh, Brett, you see people who still aren't believing what officials are telling them. And that's part of the problem when it, because it starts at the top, particularly in America. Here at home, I think we're listening more to our public health officials than we might be our politicians for the most part. And so that that leads us to where we are today with COVID-19, still many cases coming in daily and coinciding with flu season, which officials have said from the get-go we need to be watching and careful about. Yeah, we uh, overnight on the shift, they played uh, some ABC audio from uh, some sort of a rally in the United States, and there was a woman who was quoted, well, she said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, you know, George Floyd said he couldn't breathe, and look what happened to him. Well, I say I wear a mask and I can't breathe, and then as soon as that audio was done, the host came on and started laughing. That's disgusting. Uh, because that's, that's a pretty, that's a stretch to say the least, to compare those two things. Uh, I will admit, the when, when I wore a mask outside on a really hot day, I found it a little stifling because I'm not used to it. But to say I couldn't breathe, um, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, and this on the heels as well, the conversation that we started yesterday with regard to the comments from the Premier uh, suggesting that we shouldn't be questioning uh, what public health officials are telling us and that you know we need to trust these individuals i think there's a great amount of trust but that trust diminishes if you're if you're being told not to question anything they say we that that's that's a paramount part of who we are not only in our day-to-day lives in Canada, in the United States, is to question things and to to ask for clarification and to request validation as to why do we need to do these things. The answers typically are pretty good, but don't tell me to stop asking the questions. And just before we get into it here, Greg just asked me off air, is it going to warm up again? Because it's chilly. That wind outside, and I realize we're at Portage in Maine, <laughs> but that wind outside is nasty right now. Uh, but Greg says the weekend looks not bad. And and uh, yeah, looking at 21 degrees on Saturday, 22 on Sunday. That changed overnight. Like I looked at this last night, and I'm pretty sure the forecast for Saturday was 13 or 14 degrees. And now 21. Well, That's ma- great. Maybe we got some uh, big, strong farmers out Pushing the jet stream <laughs> further north and out there while they're getting their crops off the field. Going, no, we need some more nice weather. So they just push that jet stream a little further north for us. That is amazing. Yeah, that's great. Monday, 21, Tuesday, 22. I, and I see a bunch. I see a few more days in the uh, the 20s next week. So hopefully that forecast holds. We know the forecast is going to change a thousand times yes. before then. Yes. Uh, so we. Can't. I have a toucan in my basement right now, to be <laughs> honest with you. Do you really? Yeah. Well, we've... <laughs> We're trying to get the kids to stay sleeping, and I find the cooler it is, the more they snuggle into their yeah. covers, right? And so it's a strategy, the three-day strategy we're working on. No real science behind it or anything, but then as a result, I work in the basement, and my feet are freezing, my head is So I put a toque on this morning with a sweater. I, I am going to find these for you, Loren. Friends of ours, we were at a bonfire, just a small group of us, on Saturday night, and my friend, Karis, has sleeping bags for her feet they are 
awesome. They're like mm. slippers, but they might as well be sleeping bags for your well, tootsies. I was given as a gift for Christmas years ago by my father-in-law. Just we, we were giving each other gag and fun gifts, and he thought I would laugh at them because they're super ugly. They're um, plaid kind of mopping slippers like they're meant to you know if you want to mop while you walk oh. <laughs> you can spray the ground and you know rub it a stain and i can't tell you how i loved them i would i was I, I was like this is exercise the floor is getting cleaner and he's like i didn't really think you'd be uh super into those and six years later i have worn them right down and now i just wear them to keep my feet warm nice and also loren i, I noticed something on social media the other day uh that might be up your alley it's a product called the I'm not sure if it's pronounced the Udi or the Udi, but it's an oversized blanket hoodie. Oh. So it's, I guess it's kind of the same sort like of idea as a Snuggie. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a giant hoodie, but it's also meant to be like a blanket. So mm. something, that's <laughs> What something someone to needs to invent for me is Phil Dunphy on Modern Family had that um, head scratcher. Like you could put a helmet on that would scratch your head, but it kept... <laughs> It kept misfiring and burning people. I need, a, I need like a sweater, sleeping bag type thing like you mentioned, but on the back, it should slowly scratch my back. Oh, like a built-in, instead of a, a back massager, a back scratcher, a That's mechanical right. back scratcher. That's right. By the way, these are called Baffin Cush Booty Slippers. They're about 43 bucks a pair Canadian. You can get them on Amazon. If anybody knows where to get these in Winnipeg, I would prefer to buy local. Coming Sounds up in like our next segment. Fall gift. <laughs> Coming up in our next segment, we are going to give you details on how you can win today's Santa Lucia pizza. And it has to do with which TV home would you want to live in? We'll explain what's going on there because there's something cool happening in Bel Air. But we start this half hour with the fact that there will not be any in-school learning for one group of Winnipeg elementary kids this morning. Yeah, their parents and guardians now scrambling to make alternate plans after learning late last night that a spike in COVID cases at John Pritchard School means kids in grades 6 to 8, as well as the 3-4 split, will be switching to remote learning as of today. Earlier this week, we were told there was at least one case at John Pritchard, which is in the River East Transcona School Division. But in a letter that was sent home to parents last night, the school shared that there have been four new confirmed cases of COVID-19 in that school, bringing the total number of cases to five, Loren. So the letter says the school is following advice of public health officials. And so as a result, it writes that public health has advised that the following grades or cohorts be transitioned to remote learning as of September 16th, which again is this morning. And this letter, from what we can tell, went out relatively late last night around 9 p.m. So grade six, seven, eight, and the split class four, five, as well as the before and after program. They've all moved to remote learning as of today at John Pritchard School. And then that memo that was sent to parents goes on to say that this remote learning plan for these grades and cohorts could continue for 14 days, but it adds that that time lag could also be lengthened or shortened as their investigation into these cases continues. So we have reached out to the school and school division for more information. But in the meantime, we'd like to ask parents how you might be prepared for something like this. Parents, guardians, grandparents, whoever is taking care of the kids. We were told this was a possibility, right? We knew that depending on how COVID spread in different schools or classes, that 
some classes or even entire schools themselves could move to temporary remote learning. But I'd be curious to know how many people have actually discussed that plan in their home, Greg, and said, okay, like who's staying home? Who's calling the boss? Who's, whose job is the best suited to stay home if you suddenly get told you have two weeks of it? Well, we were, I think, uh, impressed with the expediency with which we got the information last week with regard to the student at Churchill High School. And then some of the other uh, information that we've been receiving about these cases has been coming very quickly. Obviously, the timing, 9 o'clock at night, is not terrific to get this news, but would you prefer it at 9 o'clock right. the night before or at 9 a.m. the next day, which would obviously be uh, less beneficial in terms of, of fighting whatever's going on at that school. So, you know, the, the information's going to come when it comes, but you're right. Do you have a plan? And if you don't have one, should what's happening this morning for several dozen uh, families in Winnipeg this morning, have you considering, have you got one locked down at this point in time? So let us know at 204-780-6868 if you are a parent of a student at John Pritchard that's been impacted by the switch uh, to remote learning for grades 6 to 8. Uh, just let us know how you're feeling. You can also email mackling at cjob.com, mcnab at cjob.com, or brett at cjob.com. And yeah, I, I, I got to take my hat off to you guys and to parent, all parents out there because the idea of just having to hit the brakes on your mm-hmm. own job Mm-hmm. to deal with a situation with your child. I, de- I, I can barely, t- I can't even take care of myself. <laughs> okay, never mind two, you know, two children's. Well, I think this is one of the reasons why there's conversations taking place in workplaces right now for folks who might be fortunate enough to already be back home. You, you know, your workplace might be ready to b- bring you back, but have you asked your employer, hey, like, are we preparing for the scenario where a good percentage of us might have to miss time if you bring us back because of the school situation? And so I'm curious, you know, we talked about all the people that who that were or were not moving back downtown, moving back into office spaces until 2021. Well, I think school has to be part of that equation in that conversation. It's not just about where COVID cases are at, but if you have a lot of people in your, say, your newsroom or your office that are parents and you're saying, I'd like to bring people back. Well, have you stopped and considered about what they're going to do if they get a call like this and says, yeah, your kid's coming home for two weeks? Yeah, you reintegrate people to the office and into the workplace physically uh, with the notion or the idea that there's a possibility that things could be turned upside down again uh, on a moment's notice. Maybe it just makes more sense. And we're learning that a lot of large and small organizations, at least in the downtown, which is where we focused our stories on the last couple of days, are keeping people home. And you have to wonder if that's part of their consideration, Brett, as to why they're they're leaving people at home. So there's not as big of a disruption if they have if people end up having a situation like what we're seeing at John Pritchard this morning. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. I'd like to think that we all know what theme song this is immediately, one of the most immediately recognizable theme songs ever. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Probably know the words, too. So, here's the deal. 
The Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Will Smith, revealed on Instagram over the weekend that the Fresh, the, the Bel Air house, the mansion, is going to be available to rent for Airbnb. The bank's house? Yes. <laughs> That's the fantastic. crazier part is the amount, is it not? Not that you can just rent it, but what was the dollar amount for the night? Uh, let me see here. It, the five available dates, which will only cost $30? Yeah. <laughs> what? In honor of the show's anniversary are October 2nd, October 5th, 8th, the 11th, and 14th. This and, is like a lottery. Yeah. Yeah, the residents will be given the opportunity to book a stay at the home in a group of up to two. And yeah, only $30 to stay in the in that house. That is really cool. So we wanted to, Loren came up with a great question this morning. Which TV house or home would you like to live in? So we've got Kelly Moore here, Jeff Braun, Jeff Fortier. Braun, why don't we start with you, co-host of the Couch Potatoes. This is easy. It's the uh, it's called High Clare Castle, where uh, Downton Abbey was shot. It's a hundred thousand square feet, three hundred rooms on five thousand acres of land, and it's beautiful. <laughs> He's got the stats and everything. You have to clean stats it. Stats and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you wouldn't. Well, it comes with. St- I would imagine it comes with staff, right? Oh, yeah, there's a whole basement full of people just uh, happy to cook and clean for you. And by the way, just in case you're wondering what's up with that echo, Jeff's got himself a new cord or a new microphone, uh, but it seems like there's a slight... Uh, the, yeah, I, I, we can definitely hear ourselves, so I think we should pot Jeff down out of this because uh, that's going to be distracting. But uh, Kelly Moore, what about you? Well, you know, I think I want to, to spend a few days at least anyway in Charlie's house from Two and a Half Men. Uh, oh yeah, that was a nice Malibu. place. That's a yeah, great, great exactly. Pick. You know, you walk out the front door, and I believe there's a pool, and then you walk a little further, and there's the beach, and uh, you know, it looks like a nice wide open uh, kitchen. You know, you can uh, see your guests in the. <laughs> I just anyway, I that house has always intrigued me, and I always loved the show. Okay, good stuff, Forte. What about you? I was going to say something like maybe the Jetsons, huh? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I want the Flintstones. No, because that's that's too bedrocky for me. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they live in bedrock? Yeah, well, they, yeah. yeah. Everything was made out of rock. Yeah, everything was made out of stone. Like, could you imagine trying to sleep on that bed? No. No, it's not going to happen. Okay, the Jetsons, cool. Yeah, you get the flying car and a robot, uh, you know, Made? assistant. Okay. Yeah. Well, one of our listeners on uh, Twitter said uh, if the Playboy Mansion is off the table and doesn't <laughs> count as a TV house, it's been in lots of movies. Yeah. Uh, he said the Jetsons, so he's on the same wavelength as uh, Young Forche. But hold on, there were a couple of series uh, featuring. Was it Holly? That's right. There were a couple of series featuring some women. The two because wasn't he had two very prominent. He was dating two women. One of the name was Holly. Uh, I think it was Holly, and she had a show in Vegas. But yeah, they—they, they, I'm pretty sure there was a TV show about the, those two, and the mansion had to have been featured. So there you go. Okay, Loren, what about you? Well, I get all the the desire for something like with robots or the mansion. You know, I even was thinking that Alexis Clarington or what was her name on Dynasty? The Dynasty Mansion was a good one. But honestly, growing up watching, I think it was both Who's the Boss? I think uh, Family Ties and uh, mm. Growing Pains. They all had houses with two staircases. Like there was the front entrance yes. staircase and then a staircase always in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so watching those growing up, you were like, what kind of job does one have to get? 
yet to get a house with two <laughs> staircases. Like, you got it. it's amazing. You got two ways to get upstairs. And so I think I'd have to pick one of those houses. I, because symbol. they also all came with that satisfying swinging door into the kitchen. There's always just that yep. swinging door that you'd slam in and out of. So that would be my pick. Full House had that as well. Yep. With the two staircases and the swinging door. My dad always used to say, what What do these people do? Like all these sitcoms do, try to play, portray just normal average families, but they all live in these giant houses with two staircases. Uh, <laughs> so obviously they had to create a set that was good for television. What about you, Greg? Oh, it's easy for me. One of our, uh, I just want real quick, one of our listeners says the South Fork Ranch from Dallas, which is really mm. good. And the Munsters house oh yeah yeah they even had uh somebody they they even had the address is it 1414 or 1313 mulberry lane anyway for me it's super easy it's the blackish house okay where uh where the uh, johnsons live it's at 4175 stansbury avenue in sherman oaks california but of course there's a set so i, I guess legitimately i would like to live on the set of blackish the colors are immaculate they're impeccable the design is unreal uh dre's uh shoe closet alone is to die for and i would want the shoes as well and uh that would not even be even close i think it's the nicest house on television oh and for me there were there are a couple one is super obscure there was a show in 1986 called the wizard i think it was on for one season it was about a toy maker it was this adventure show about a toy maker so his house was full of like awesome toys <laughs> and uh, i always wanted to live there but uh, for me uh since and, and i think it was jeff who pointed out i wouldn't want to have to clean that all these big fancy houses i I'm just fine with being an apartment dweller at this point. Like Seinfeld apartment? Monica and Rachel's, actually. Yeah, that's, pretty that's a good, good one. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. How about Paula's suggestion, which just conjured up images of our youth? She always wanted to live in Oscar the Grouch's garbage can, right? <laughs> because it went places. You're like, what's down True. there? Where's he going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can't just be in the garbage can. It's gotta, he's tunneled his way into a whole other world. A little labyrinth down there. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Just want to quickly mention this before we get into this here. Text message at 204-780-6868. Which TV home would you like to live in? And this listener says, Victor and Nikki's Ranch in Y&R. Love the thought of having horses. Young and the Restless, of course, can be seen on Global TV, I believe, in the afternoons. Is it 4 o'clock? 430. 430 to 5.30. Is that the house that came with Esther, the... No, Maid Esther, no? that was the Chancellor Estate. Oh, okay. oh yes. Yeah, so uh, Vicky, uh, Victor and uh, Nikki lived on the Newman Ranch, of course. Nikki. That house, the original house burnt down, though, so they've actually rebuilt the house <laughs> in the last little while. <laughs> you and know way too much about Sharon's the show, Sharon's gatehouse is actually is, is oh, pretty nice. Stop. So, <laughs> okay. I'm embarrassed Not as cool you. as uh, Nick's condo. Any, anyway. Victor, you know what? You only have to watch it, like, every six months to catch up oh, anyway. It's totally easy to get caught up. Yeah, Victor Newman is the best. You... Devious man, I want you to pack your things and I want you to get out. <laughs> Question of the and day: then Slow turn, <laughs> slow turn to the camera and actually, scowl. Actually, I think at that point he had a heart attack. Oh, 
Oh, no. I can't remember. He fell to the ground. Though. Or he threw the chair out the window. Different scene. Yes. Different scene. Him and Jack have had some okay, brilliant scenes over yeah, the he, years. He fell down. Victor fell to the ground and Jack just walked out the door. Mickey, uh, my question of the day at CJOB.com brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And the question that went up yesterday afternoon, do you think COVID-19 is more dangerous, as dangerous, or less dangerous than the seasonal flu? 62% say more dangerous, 25% as dangerous, and 13% less dangerous. And that's what we want to talk about right now because it's been six months and a handful of days since the first COVID case was detected in Manitoba. We've asked and answered, and in some cases re-asked, hundreds of questions. And one of the big ones that continues to be asked by some of you is how does COVID compare to the flu? And I think that's a particularly important question as we enter our fall flu season. Since March, Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist and founder of Epi Research, has been helping us out with many of our queries and concerns. And she joins us again now. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. Okay, so COVID versus the flu, we know a lot of the symptoms are similar. And as a result, some of the comments Mm -hmm. we've heard repeatedly are, what are we worried about? This is just the flu or just like the flu. How do you answer this question to this day? Um, they're not, uh, there's many things that do appear the same. So you're right. Most of the signs and symptoms, you know, fever, cough, aches and pains, uh, they're the same, uh, but COVID uh, is different in that some people experience a loss of taste and smell. So, um, yes, there's similarities in symptoms, um, but everything from the incubation period to how it spreads and to who's at most risk for poor outcomes are different. And we're learning more and more, don't forget, that, you know, the the flu, as dangerous as it can be uh, and lead to complications such as pneumonia, it's really focused on our lower respiratory system, uh, whereas we're learning that with COVID, it's a respiratory system plus our heart and our circulatory system, so the system taking blood um, around our body to and from our heart which is leading to all kinds of complications uh, and and challenges uh, beyond just the respiratory system. Is it uh, a misconception or or correct that the the flu doesn't spread as easily as COVID-19? Or can you sort that out for us, Cynthia? Right. So both COVID and the flu can spread at least one day before symptoms. But the flu, um, that tends to be um, the most, whereas uh, with COVID, the challenge is it can, it can spread um, before symptoms and amongst people that are asymptomatic, and it can, somebody can t- continue to spread it for kind of 10, 11 days, whereas with the flu, um, it's kind of like you're, you're most uh, infectious in the first three or four days and stop being infectious after about five and six. Now, the difference is younger kids are actually more impacted and more severely impacted by the flu, and they can spread it longer. Um, but in general, among the adult population, the challenge is, um, that is quite a bit longer where people can spread the corona, the COVID-19. And, and the other thing is that with influenza, you typically feel those symptoms, um, the sickness, kind of within a day, two or three at the most, 
um, between being infected and, get, and feeling sick. So you're much less likely to be out and about and spreading it, and you're more likely to get treatment. Uh, whereas with COVID, as we've learned, you might not get any symptoms, or it could be 10, 12 days before you feel sick, and during that time you can spread it. Um, and the other difference is um, that although it seems to be spread kind of the same way that we've talked about with direct contact, respiratory droplets, COVID seems to have more super spreaders, so more events where many, many people uh, are infected compared to uh, influenza where it tends to be um, less of that and more just, you know, people that were in direct, like what we originally would think of as direct contact with that person that's infected. Now that we're entering flu season, can we expect to see more tests and maybe more cases because it can be hard to tell them apart without the test? It really is hard to tell them apart, and that was a challenge, of course, in the beginning with trying to understand is this something new uh, or uh, is it influenza. So I noticed that Dr. Tam herself is mentioning, you know, the need to look at uh, licensing more rapid testing, and, and that will help. Um, you know, the good news, and it's kind of interesting when we look at the Southern Hemisphere, um, they're having very, very few cases of the flu. Like literally countries that typically have in the tens of thousands, some have less than a 100. Um, and so part of the theory is, is it due to social distancing and that helping? And hopefully that's the case. But what I'm finding interesting is some of those countries are still having kind of upticks or, or surges of, of COVID, uh, even though the flu uh, seems not to be circulating. So, uh, you know, I'm wondering if there's been a really good vaccine campaign for influenza. And so, of course, we want everybody age six months and older uh, to participate this year instead of the typical kind of one in four um, to see how well we do because, uh, you know, definitely another virus circulating is a significant threat to people and the healthcare system, and we want to be on top of that. Before we let you go, Cynthia, you just mentioned we've got about 20 seconds. The flu shot's an important part of the campaign right now. If we see a high number of flu cases and the COVID cases continue, the threat you mentioned is to the ability for the healthcare system to handle them together. That's right. We saw that in Italy when this started. There was a high uh, rate of flu and the healthcare system crumbled um, when COVID occurred. You can get infected with both. They're completely different viruses. You want to stay as healthy as possible yourself and also for the healthcare system. In peak flu season, there's 250 plus people a day just in Winnipeg seeking care at the emergency department uh, for respiratory or flu-like illnesses. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, thousands of visits a week. Um, so we want to uh, do our part to get our flu shot, stay healthy, and try to minimize the impact on ourselves and the system. Cynthia Carr joining us live on 680 CJOB. She is an epidemiologist with Epi Research. Thank you so much for your time, as always, Cynthia. You're welcome. Have a good day. Ren, just very quickly here, you wanted to share some numbers regarding flu versus COVID. Well, I think that's one of the big questions that we get asked. What is the difference between these two viruses and what is the impact? So the numbers that we have to date for the flu season last year, so keeping in mind that would go from September of last year to March of this year, 403 hospitalizations for the flu, 29 deaths in this province. We're still working on the totals for hospitalizations for COVID because it's an ongoing count, but we know there have been dozens of hospitalizations and 16 deaths due to COVID to date. But here's what we need to keep in mind. The flu cases in Canada account for about 3,500 deaths 
per year. So far, COVID-19 in Canada has caused 9,188 deaths. So in Canada, it is about three times deadlier, deadlier. And we have to keep in mind that's with all the restrictions in place. And that's without COVID coinciding with flu season, which is what we're entering right now, Greg. And over the past several weeks, you may have heard the Southern Hemisphere was experiencing an aberration with regards to the flu. That's right. Here's a part of a story from CNN. And for a change, this 2020 news story has an unexpected storyline with positive over and undertones. Australia and other countries in the Southern Hemisphere just finished their easiest flu seasons on record in the United States and other nations in the Northern Hemisphere could have an easy time too if people get flu shots, practice social distancing, and wear masks. This could be one of the best flu seasons we've had. That from Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. He told that to the Journal of the American Medical Association in August. Quote, particularly if we do one more thing, and that is to embrace the flu vaccine with confidence, Loren. So just to keep in mind, the Southern Hemisphere has its flu season on the opposite side of things, right? It goes from April to September. And as you said, it experienced a record low flu season, according to the World Health Organization. If we look at just Australia, for example, As of August last year, so in August of 2019, its flu season saw 61,000 influenza cases. August, as of August 2020 this year, 107. I mean, that's 61,000 to 107. And so what they called it was a virtually a non season. That was according to Ian Barr, who is the professor of microbiology and immunology at the University of Melbourne. Melbourne. He says that they've never seen numbers like this before and that there were similar results seen in South Africa at the southern cone of South America as well, places in Argentina. And so all sorts of uh, countries in the southern hemisphere have seen reduced flu numbers. They believe in part a lot of the actions that have been taking place in terms of hand washing, but potentially because of the flu vaccine as well, Brett. And flu season in the Southern Hemisphere started just as COVID-19 hit. All the precautions people took to control the new virus, staying home, practicing social distancing, wearing masks, also helped keep flu numbers low. Now, Greg, we reached out for information directly from the Pan American Health Organization asking two questions. Yeah, the first question was, has there been a reduction of flu cases in the Southern Hemisphere? Because you can read reports in various places. They said yes, overall, and compared to previous flu seasons, influenza, Uh, occurrence in the southern cone temperate zones in the southern hemisphere of the Americas has remained low and well beyond below historical seasonal levels however we have seen a great deal of COVID-19 transmission and then that second question to what can we attribute these lower numbers so uh, it is difficult to tease out the exact contribution of the factors involved but we will bring you more on this and also the question we have for you is will the COVID-19 pandemic encourage you to get a flu vaccination? Yeah. Conline crush, baby. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on the start. We, uh, in our next segment, are going to give away a large Two-topping pizza for Santa Lucia. Could you put guacamole on a pizza, Greg? I wouldn't put guacamole on anything, but it is National Guacamole Day in the United States. My kids love guacamole. Jackie loves guacamole. I can't believe 
The increased love affair with guacamole over the last decade or so. And also, like, Loren, has your tastes, like, your taste buds changed over the years where the condiments and the type of things that you'll put on a burger or uh, maybe your chicken have changed over time? And has guacamole uh, moved up the list of your favorites over the years? No. (laughs) Oh, so do we agree on this? No, I, I I like guacamole, but I'm not adding it to anything other than nachos or you know like oh. a mex like fajitas or that kind of thing. No, guacamole is not on anything else for me. Oh wow, at all. on a burger, Brett? Oh yeah. yeah, love it on burgers. Love it on burgers. I like uh, avocado and eggs. I'm not a huge fan of mixing in avocado or guacamole in salad, unless it's a taco salad, I guess. But uh, I've tried it just in like a normal salad. doesn't work. At least it didn't work for me. I just found it was too... It made the salad, which is already kind of smushy, uh, depending on how much of the extra crap you like. I put in <laughs> a lot of cheese and lots of dressing. What does uh, Loren call it? A dirty salad? Yes. A dirty salad. Just a big, dirty salad. So when you throw in the guacamole, it's just almost overload of, of texture. But uh, yeah, I love guacamole. So the more guacamole, generally speaking, the better. I, and I think we've learned that avocado, for as much as everybody likes it, it's like, oh, it's a fruit, it's a vegetable, it's not very good for you at the end of the day. I would order a shipping crate full of guacamole, You Greg. would? A shipping crate. <laughs> That's right. Well, then you know what you could do with the shipping crate or the shipping container after? Build a shelter out of it? You could build a shelter out of it. Loren, what's happening here? Well, we talked yesterday uh, around this time about the proposal from the province uh, to put those all-season shelters at the personal care homes in this province. So more than 100 of them are needing these all-season outdoor visitation spaces so that we can better visit our loved ones in personal care homes and long-term care facilities during flu season in addition to COVID season. So they're looking for these safe spaces. And we brought up yesterday that the province was going to announce how they were going to get these out there in time for fall and in time for a flu season, which is almost upon us. And so we mused about, you know, how would the construction get done? What might they look like? Would they be like modulars that you see or those, those, those prefab offices space type things that are added to school properties? Nope. Uh, looks like they're going towards shipping crates, Brett. And Global's Merrick Takash has some details for us. Manitoba seniors will have more freedom over the winter months thanks to 90 of these all-season shelters being installed near long-term care homes across the province. The shelters will be crafted from repurposed shipping containers with electrical and mechanical systems built for use throughout the entire year. The single-use shipping containers will be used as a shell for these completely finished visiting facilities and each unit as you said will have a visiting room with space for one resident and up to five visitors. The facilities are in the process of being built by PCL Constructors Canada. The near 18 million dollar project will see each shelter tailored specifically for the needs of the care home it will serve. The uh, families will enter from uh, one side and the residents from another and they'll be able to visit in a shelter that is heated, is cooled, it is uh, sheltered from the climate. With an added emphasis on proper cleaning procedures. They'll be cleaned in intervals between each of the visits. So obviously uh, when we went out and solicited from the market, we said uh, cleanable surfaces, smooth surfaces to make it easy to clean. The province says they expect to begin delivering the buildings to care homes within a matter of weeks. Merrick Takash, Global News. So maybe I'm 
too romantic when I heard this notion of all-season shelters. I envisioned all sorts of glass, sort of like a three-season or four-season sunroom. This notion of it being extremely utilitarian in nature never crossed my mind until a couple of weeks ago when they kind of insinuated, yeah, we're going to be able to roll these things out pretty good. And then I started thinking at co-trailers. Yeah. Mm. Trailers, yeah. This this, this whole is thing, very similar. It's just it, it kind of feels sort of similar to the the. There's a bit of a letdown factor. I feel like for me at least, and it kind of reminds me. It was just a couple of months ago, the province announced plans for a roundabout. What was it? Uh, Trans Canada and the Highway 16. Right. And when that announcement was made, there was a lot of like really sort of underwhelming in its yeah in its presentation and. Maybe it's functional, but oh, that's hey. not really what we were expecting, right? No, Lauren? but th- this is as quick as you can do it. Like, if you if the goal is to get them out within the next four weeks, I honestly don't know how that would have looked. What that would have looked like if we were relying on all sorts of new construction, and uh, the goal would be to not only have them up and running, but to have them heated and ready to go for winter. I just to add the electrical and possible plumbing and all sorts of things to a construction project. I just the question was going to be how. And impossible. So if they'd come out yesterday saying, oh, we're going to have them all built within the next four to six weeks, we also wouldn't have believed that either. So in, in some respects, I feel like this is this is the, all that can be done mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. The, on the outside, certainly not what you want to be seeing on your property. On the inside, you can glam them up. And as a complete aside, I have on social media many times stumbled down the rabbit hole of shipping container homes. And I can't be alone with that because you can really jazz them up if you no want to. question. So, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. They might still have that really industrial look. And that's certainly not, if that's the case, that's certainly not where you want to stroll in to visit your loved one. That being said, if that's what we're left with, I... It is what it is. Let's go back to one of the most hated sayings. <laughs> it is what it is at the end of the day. Hey, let us know what you think about this at 204-780-6868. Also, we have a request from our friends over at Global News. They are asking what? if uh, anybody was, to, if any of you listening to this radio station right now, if you were turned away at a testing site because they test, there was a rush on testing apparently, and it filled. The COVID-19 sites in Winnipeg by mid-afternoon, all of the sites were at uh, capacity. So they're working on ways to increase capacity and staffing. And they add that it's still very important to go to a site for testing if you need to. But did you try to get a test yesterday and were you turned away? Let us know at 204-780-6868. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have a large two-topping pizza to give away for Santa Lucia because you have been texting us this morning, which TV house would you live in and why? You've been texting 204-780-6868. I have dropped in three texts. We have two runners-up, so to speak. I mean, it was hard to choose a winner, and oh so gosh. many great ideas here. How do you say no to any of them, right? They're all awesome ideas. So, Greg, why don't you tell us what Kevin the Garbage Man had to say? Yeah, we think Kevin is ineligible to win, but uh, I think he's third place anyway three's company apartment see third place live with two beautiful women sexy crazy older woman happy <laughs> was that lana was that I don't uh, yeah, I think oh, yeah, it was. yeah. <laughs> great buddy lives next door close to a bar by the beach you're a chef and the landlord is an idiot <laughs> 
when he lays it out like that, it's pretty hard. That it is, is a compelling, compelling he, argument. He's going for the people, not the place. That wasn't the world's greatest apartment. Like, no. It's just average, right? It's two bedrooms, I think. And mm-hmm. I think the girls had to share a room. They and did. it was relatively oh, yeah. ugly as far as the upholstery on that couch goes. But yeah. it's the people. He's there for the experience. The second runner-up here, I liked Todd's just just for the sheer contrast. Todd says, I would love to live in the house from the first season of American Horror Story, which was a haunted house. The, Great. The, the name of the season is Murder House, but it was it's a nice old house. And he says, then a close second runner-up, the Beverly Hillbillies. So, okay, I love that contrast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Loren, we've gone with Brenda here. Do you see her text? Yeah, and this is this is where your imagination really came into play when you're watching TV over the years. So, Brenda is our winner this morning. She writes, for the contest, I always wanted to live in I Dream of Jeannie's Place, a.k.a. Her Bottle. I love the exotic decor. It inspired me to want to see the Middle East during my travels and decorating choices at home as well. I just wish I could wear her outfits, she texts with a smiley face, and exit in a plume of smoke. (laughs) When you want to leave the room, just bang, plume of smoke. Bewitch got a lot of votes too. Just crinkle your nose and you can be wherever you want. Is that all it took? Oh, that's right. Yeah, Samantha had that magic. Anyway. So thank you very much for all the text messages. This has been great at 204-780-6868. Brenda, if you're listening, we will be in touch to get some details from you. And I just wanted to read this one as well. Great blast from the past. At, uh, somebody, when we were talking about how I read the time instead of the temperature, this listener says, <laughs> right. hey, you were just talking about the time and temp. Yesterday you were talking about businesses no longer with us. Do you remember way before the internet, calling the time and temperature line. And I said to Greg out loud, was it 783-2255? And it wasn't 2255, but it was 783. It was 783-2119. The time is 855, and the temperature is 7 degrees Celsius. I'm reading the text, not the actual time. But yeah, we had this sticker on our phone in our house, and I can't believe that I rem- like instantly remembered 783. There used to be a phone number where you could actually phone and get Winnipeg Jets highlights. You would listen to the CJOB highlights on the phone, and there'd be a little, little bit of a mini Jets update. And that's how you could get Jets information back in the 80s. You don't have to do that now. You just have to tune in at 25 after the hour. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on The Start. Just after 7.30, we read an open letter to that had been sent to us from somebody who, who said that she's been trying to get a hold of somebody at CJOB for a while. And uh, thankfully, this person knows someone or is related to someone who used to work here who tagged me in this post, so I immediately, so I finally saw it. And uh, we read the letter on the air. And this has to do, it's an open letter to Manitoban health officials basically begging for help for mental health issues. Should I just read the letter again? Yeah. Yeah, I think you should. Okay. So, and we're going to bring her on here. She's going to join us live in a moment. Her name is Amanda. And Amanda says, as someone who suffers from serious depression and anxiety, I can't tell you how frustrated and angry I am with our healthcare system. The past 15 years, I've done anything and everything humanly possible to seek help and treatment for my illness. 
I've tried at least 20 different medications, spent hundreds of dollars on cognitive behavioral therapy books, mindfulness books and training seminars, and dialectical behavior therapy material, all prescribed by different general practitioners. I've spent weeks in a mental health facility after suicide attempts and threats. I've spent days at different crisis stabilization units and countless hours at Winnipeg's Crisis Response Center. Do you know how impossible it is for someone in Manitoba to see a psychiatrist? I've been told by numerous healthcare executives that because I live on that side of the river, your options are as follows. Portage La Prairie. One psychiatrist who I had an appointment with but was rescheduled three times within two months. Yes, I've spoken to a psychiatrist twice at a mental health facility, but only after being admitted to such facility following a suicide attempt. So let's get this straight. The experts on mental health and psychotropic drugs that can supposedly help people with mental illnesses we can't access unless we attempt or threaten suicide? It's been 15-plus years of suffering with this, begging and pleading with Manitoba Health to allow me regular access to a psychiatrist and constantly denied. And you wonder why suicides are skyrocketing in this province. Help us. Sincerely, help less. Amanda wrote that letter. And Amanda, thank you very much for joining us. And this letter, this letter was not written as a response to the pandemic. You say you wrote this before COVID-19 even hit. Before COVID, that would have been uh, before Christmas, at least. Amanda, thanks for sharing your trials, your tribulations, being so brutally honest about what you've been through. For those that have not been down your path, can you just try and share with us the courage, the place you need to be in your life to actually ask for help, to go to the crisis intervention center, to put yourself in front of the variety of doctors you or practitioners you've obviously stood in front of in some shape or form and asked for help. Just talk about what it takes to get to that place to ask for that assistance. I mean, I, I, I personally am thankful. I have a, a husband that is supporting me or supportive of the fact that I have this mental illness. And I'll never forget the first time I ended up at the Crisis Response Centre in Winnipeg. I believe that's associated with, with Health Science Centre. I'm not 100% sure. But um, I was sent there because I phoned, I think it was a 1-800 crisis line. Like I was just so desperate for someone to help me literally save my life um, at that particular moment. And uh, they referred me to the crisis response center and it took, for anyone that suffers with depression and anxiety, it's not as simple as, oh, just go and just go and get help. Like, it's putting one foot in front of the other. It's virtually and sometimes impossible to do that. So it took every, it takes everything I have to try to get out of bed, to go to these places and get help. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's very, very difficult. But like I said in, in the letter, 
that I'm hoping someone will will read and acknowledge that's sitting in an armchair that I need help. People like me need help. The, the hardest part about listening to this, Amanda, is only the idea that it's at your lowest moment that when you go looking for something, you go looking for that help. But along the way, you wanted to get help before yeah. you you hit that what might have been your rock bottom at that time. There might be new rock bottoms along the way, right? Every every day is different, yeah. and I can appreciate that. But it's at the lowest you ask for help. But you wanted it earlier. And so, for example, right now today, if you were to make that call and say, I need help, not maybe not because it's suicidal, but because you're, you want to prevent yourself from getting to that stage, what mm-hmm. happens? What, where, where's the referral process? How does it work right now for someone in your shoes? Well, I live in southern Manitoba. So uh, my particular doctor um, is in Altona, and he is an unbelievable doctor to me, he, but I mean, he's a GP, right? Like he doesn't specialize in, in mental health or, I mean, I also have multiple sclerosis, so he doesn't specialize in that, but uh, I mean, he's trying to do what he can do. So in this instance, for example, I would ask him, like, can you help me? He would send a referral in to I believe it goes to one place. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it goes to Eden Mental Health Centre, which I've had a lengthy stay there at one point. And the intake people who get these referrals kind of put me on a list or they triage the list. At that point, I don't know what happens to my referral. Like, I, I have no idea... I'm assuming that people at Eden Mental Health only see admitted patients or there's a long wait because it's so close to my area. So so nothing happens then? Like you didn't get a psychiatric referral then? Uh, like you, the you have the referral, but you don't have the appointment. Well, I got one in Portage of La Prairie, hmm. which is an hour and a half from where I live which I don't care if it was five hours from where I live. It's the fact that, okay, this person is willing to talk to me, but it was rescheduled three times in two months. Yeah, we've all been through that. I think that's got to be one of the most frustrating things with our healthcare system is getting an appointment and then getting it rescheduled and then getting it rescheduled. You just It's like a can that keeps getting kicked down the road. Uh, but when it comes to something like this, that is not a can that should be kicked down the road. We got a text message I want to read here. Amanda, this was sent to us after we read your open letter just after 7.30, and I'm going to leave the listener's name out of it uh, just in case this is, because it's fairly personal stuff. When mm-hmm. my And it reads as follows, when my ex committed suicide, I was in a dark place. I was high risk. I had a plan. I went for help, though, and managed one appointment with a psychiatrist who told me he was booked solid with patients for a year and could not mm-hmm. help me. He offered an alternative help source that I would have to fund myself. I had the resources to do so, but not many do. There needs to be more. Mm-hmm. That person, whoever wrote that, knows exactly what I'm going through and gets it. That person gets it. And the people sitting in the armchairs for Manitoba Health are not understanding what we are going through. Like, I am absolutely, I've been on lockdown for six months because of COVID. That's one thing. 
And another thing is, like, I can't help that I have depression and anxiety. These are these are illnesses that I can't help. It's not like I have a bruise on my arm that's going to go away. This is something that Manitoba needs to acknowledge that we need regular access to psychiatry. I mean, psychologists are $150, $200 an hour. Half of them aren't taking patients. And I mean, that's expensive. A lot of people like myself can't afford that. And I want someone like a psychiatrist who is supposedly specializes in anxiety and depression and other very serious mental health issues. We've seen variety of reports over the years that aren't super helpful at this point in time. All it does, Amanda, is highlight in your part of the province in particular, uh, part of the Peachy report said that we were we were short almost two dozen uh, psychological specialists, whether it be psychologists or psychiatrists in your part of the province alone. And so mm-hmm. when you see things like this and you live it, that's all well and good. But how much more frustrating is it when it's right there in paper, in black and white, and it's been there for several years and the wheels turning in order to correct that shortfall, that shortcoming of resources moves at such an incredibly slow pace uh, that there's a lack perhaps of understanding of the number of human beings that are getting getting caught up in this and and are are suffering in the meantime. Exactly. And I honestly feel sorry for my husband most of the time because it, I, I hate to, to say this, but for someone that suffers from depression and anxiety and other people, that suffer from depression and anxiety, in a lot of cases, it's not if, it's when. Like, we need help. This province needs help, needs mental resource, proper mental resources help. When I went to the Crisis Response Centre the first time, I'll never forget what that lady said to me, the triage lady. She says, why are you here? And I said, I'm here because I want to die i want to kill myself and she says okay and took some notes and she says so how how can we help you i started laughing because i i literally laughed at this woman because i thought to myself is this a joke like if i knew the answer do you think i would be here well one of the other questions that you will get and i got it myself when i was there amanda about six years ago was do you feel that way at this very moment? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it was almost as though the role of that center was just to make sure they didn't send you back out into the great unknown uh, with those feelings, with those thoughts. There was no no at least in my experience, and it sounds like yours was fairly similar. There was no proactive approach. There was maybe no resource for them to say, well, here's what we can do to help you. They just wanted to know that at that very moment, you didn't want to kill yourself. Yep. 100% agreed. You're here, Amanda. 100%. And I want... It's so frustrating hearing this because at that moment you're, you're asking for help and they want to know, well, how bad is your need for help, right? And you're there for a reason, so you're, you're crying out for it. But you're here and you're here talking to us. So do you have a message for anyone else who's perhaps going through what you've been through, feeling how you're feeling? Because we know there are thousands of Manitobans like you. 
There are. There are so many. And I guess my message would be don't stop asking for help. Um, not necessarily, it, I, I don't want to say to stop asking your, your GPs or your family doctor because, you know, that they want to help you, I'm sure. But this goes higher up than that. This goes to Manitoba Health Executives. This goes to the province of Manitoba. Um, these are the people that set out the budgets, I'm sure, for these type of things. And for the, anybody listening to this and that feels like, you know, I want to die, like this is the end, like depression is easy. Life is hard. So I just really want these people to keep reaching out for help, like keep going, keep reaching out for help. They're, they're, I mean, look at me, like, I finally got to talk to somebody about it. Like, I finally got someone to listen to me, at, like you guys. And, and if one person hears this and goes and tries to get help, that would be my only goal. Because I know how painful it is. It's a very painful disease, depression and anxiety. And I just would hope one person would have the courage to step up and ask for help and ask the province for help. Amanda, thank you very much for joining us this morning. I know this is not an easy topic, so we appreciate how forthcoming you've been. And as well, please thank Dave for tagging me in that post uh, because we get a lot of messages here. We don't ignore them on purpose. It's just sometimes we they get through the cracks, and we appreciate uh, your persistence on this. And uh, we're glad to we are proud to bring your story to our show. So thank you. I'm very happy to to talk to you guys about it. Thank you for your kindness and and your help. I'm glad I got to speak about it. Amanda joining us live on 680 CJOB. Greg, uh, 30 seconds for a final thought. Yeah, I just want to give out this website, reasontolive.ca. Suicide prevention support line here in Manitoba, 877-435-7170. One more time, reasontolive.ca, 877-435-7170. Weather next on the start. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.